Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I'm joined by my Thunder buddy, Joe Masato. Joe, how are you doing today on um, what feels like, I don't know, a, a wrench thrown into the plans of the Thunder season on a wild day today? Yeah, I'm I'm doing well, Michael. Uh, just to address the, uh, the wrench, uh, that would be the injury report this morning, Tuesday morning. Shea Gilgis-Alexander still out with the abdominal strain. But it was also announced that he has gone into health and safety protocols, which just like it's just become one thing on top of another for Shea, who is dealing with the ankle soreness, then the abdominal strain. Now he has COVID. So it's um, it, it's unfortunate timing, obviously, for the Thunder's play in chances with, you know, the, this homestand amidst this homestand right here. Um I'm pretty confident in saying that Shea would have been back either tonight against the Kings or tomorrow night against the Lakers. Neither of those things are going to happen now um, that he uh, that he's in health and safety protocols. But yeah, I mean, a bummer for Shea just because the season he's having. Hopefully he'll be back in the next, you know, at most it's looking like 10 days, but it, it could be quicker than that. That's what I was just about to ask you is just what is the health and safety protocols currently? Because I know it's changed over the time since we've been further and further removed from COVID. Yeah. So it used to be where, you know, these guys were getting regularly tested. Um, if you had like a close contact, they were still doing contract tracing. That stuff isn't happening anymore. Like per NBA rules, vaccinated players, which Shay is. They're only getting tested if they're symptomatic, if they're showing symptoms um, of COVID. So that means he was feeling symptoms, got tested, and it showed up positive. So, and what what that means now is, I I, I need to look into more on what it could be on the low end, but the high end, having you know just been through my, this myself is they don't let you back until at least 10 days. If you're still sh- showing up positive on a test, if you're asymptomatic after day 10, um, you're good to go. However, if you test negative before that, you can also get out early. I don't know if there is any differentiation between how it affects players, but I just want to bring this up because the easy thing to do not the easy thing to do. I would say the dumb thing to do is say, "Oh my gosh, the Thunder's the Thunder's tanking so bad. They're they're injecting this guy with COVID, or um, they're making up a they're making up a COVID test." Listen, it's easy to make this connection because this is where the Thunder has been in the last two seasons. But frankly, it's ridiculous. Like, I am nobody yet. They, the NBA had to have um, confirmation of my test results. I had to send a negative test results when when they came back. Um, People from the league office were checking on me. So the NBA has access 
to these reports and has to verify them, the test results, everything like that. The NBA wants to know when a player has COVID and what protocols the teams are taking. So I shouldn't even have to say this, but the uh, the, the injury report, it's a lot easier to, I'm not saying they're making up anything, but it's a lot easier to make up, you know, I got a bruised elbow than, than COVID. That's a whole different animal. So I just want people to stop doing that. Yeah, stuff like back tightness, but it is just lazy. It's just the easy thing to look at and go, oh, well, now they're shutting them down. It's time to tank. So it's it's pretty frustrating. It's a serious thing as far as what you're talking about, that the NBA takes this extremely seriously, but it's not something that I think that's going to like be a long-term thing. But even if he does sit out the 10 days at minimum or whatever it is and then comes back, I don't think you're going to see him immediately in a game. And if it is the 10 days, it would put him at about coming back around March 10th, which they have a game the next day against the Pelicans. So I'm I'm thinking that, you know, even if he does come back, it's going to be a couple of days of practice before they just launch him back onto the floor after having COVID as you've had it. I've had it. And just the overall thing for me that was the hardest was just the overall fatigue and just feeling weak. So I can't imagine just sitting around for a while if you're Shea, because I don't think they're going to want him in a gym if he's positive for COVID at all. Even if he wants to be out there, there's going to be some rust and some, I don't know, losing uh, your cardiovascular shape. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it affects everyone differently. Um, he's going to be on his own timeline. I, I, I don't even want to get into the, you know, when he could be back or, you know, get the guessing game that, that, that involves right now. I'm confident in saying he's for sure out Tuesday night against the Kings and Wednesday night. Um, against the Lakers and and who knows what past then, but it looks like it will be a few games. I'm also confident that, you know, the abdominal strain is not something that was going to keep Shea out for the rest of the season anyway. So once he feels good again, he's going to be back out there. Um, this is the Thunder's in a really weird spot right now because they were, you know, for almost two months, the second best team in the NBA by net rating, which is still like crazy every time I say that out loud. Only the Nuggets had a better net rating than the Thunder in January and February. Um, and now that February is about to come to an end, the Thunder is now on a three-game losing streak, two of those without Shea. And now Shea's going to miss the next couple of games. So they were at a point where the play-in was looking pretty secure or like, you know, I would say it was more likely than not. Um, as we're recording on Tuesday afternoon, their game out of tenth, the final play-in spot, um, and it's it's like, listen, this is a win-win scenario for the Thunder because we've seen the development, um, how Shea has progressed, how Giddy's progressed, what J Dub looks like. So there's really no way this season could end on a sour note. But right now they're straddling the fence between. You know, if they win a couple without Shea and then he comes back and plays like he was, they might make the play in. Or if he's out longer than we think and the guy, the rest of the team's not playing well, well, then we're going to be looking at the reverse standings because right now OKC is eighth in the reverse standings and the top four are uncatchable. But you look at Orlando, they're fifth in the reverse standings. Um, the Thunder is only three games better than Orlando, two games better than Indiana. So this could turn into a thing where it's like, it's like, what standings are we looking at? Are we looking at the from from top to bottom or, or from bottom to the top? 
Yeah, it feels like a real fork in the road moment that hopefully will get resolved soon. But I'm glad that you talked about the abdominal strain, hopefully not being something long term. You know, maybe I'm overreacting to this, but I have thought about it a little bit about Shea's injury history. Over the last three seasons, Shea has played 145 games in comparison. Kyrie Irving has, in that same stretch, has played only 16 games less than Shea. Shea has played the same amount of games as Kristaps Porzingis. So there is something I think that some fans, I guess, are getting a little bit um, nervous about or just uncomfortable about with the amount of games that he's missed. It's not something that I'm thinking is going to be like a Kawhi Leonard situation or Anthony Davis where he's missing 50 games, 40 games a season. But it is a, a trend that feels like it's been happening. Yeah, and it's it's a fair thing to point out. I, I mean, he played 82 games as a rookie uh, with the Clippers in the 2019-20 season. He played 70 games in what was a 72-game season. So basically starts his career with back-to-back full seasons. Um, and then 35 games three years ago, 56 games um, last season and, and 54 this season. So w- we have yet to see him play you know, 70 ish games at this level and being a lead guard and and the star of a team and the load that takes. So there's nothing that I would say that there's no evidence other than we haven't seen it before. And that's, that's a fair point to make. Um, These injuries he's had, have all been unrelated. It's not like one nagging thing that continues to to keep him out or causes him to miss time. And and you know we're going to look back a couple years from now and uh, talk about the games Shea missed this season and won't think that hey maybe three or four or five however many it was was because of COVID, which is something that you can't control. Um, so that's going to factor into it as well. I think if Shea could get around that seventy-ish game mark. He's going to be fine for all NBA consideration um, and probably a lock. Um, you know, who who knows? I, I don't want to even guess about first, second or third team. Um, I still think he's playing around, you know, firmly in that second team territory, um, maybe even closer to first than third. But anyway, a, a lot of guys are missing time across the NBA. So, you know, when when voters are looking at the numbers and everything and you see a 70, under that GP column, um, that's not a red flag at all because there's there's guys that are missing, you know, 12 games and stuff. And as you mentioned, he hasn't really had any serious injuries other than the plantar fasciitis, which he's recovered from. So I think that's yeah. something to be os- optimistic about. But we've seen him after games limping and things like that. So he's willing to play through things. It's not like something where just something small happens and Shay's like, well, I got to sit. He's going to play through a lot of this stuff if the Thunder are willing to let him do that. I think that's what he wants to do. But at the same time, they've got to protect him from himself in the long scheme of things. Uh, but just to wrap this up, who do you think needs to step up the most in Shea's absence over the course of however many games he misses? Yeah, well, I was just going to say when you were when you were talking about that, like the kind of limping around, like you ever seen someone like sit in a chair more more cautiously than than Shade does. He winces when he sits down and it looks like <laughs> he's like whenever he's about to get up, it looks like he's really considering like, do I want to get up really fast or should I take this slow? Yeah. And you know, he's worn that, you know, pad that you can see on the back of his shorts and stuff and, and has taken some tough falls and that's not even something he's missed time for. So yeah, there's there's a lot of bumps and bruises. Um that build up as far as guys that that i'm watching obviously giddy is is the easiest to um 
to say because he's going to naturally take on um, more ball handling duties with Shea out. I thought he played really well the other night in the first game against the Kings, had a good floor game, was sufficient um, after you know being in a very, very, very mini slump to to open this unofficial second half. And I want to see J-Dub be more aggressive. And that's something we've talked about, you know, all season. Um, and something they're, you know, it's a good thing that they're trying to, like, pull this out of them because you'd rather have that than the other way around. It's like, oh, man, you're taking you're taking too many shots here. But that's not the issue um, with J-Dub at all. So um, Giddy and J-Dub are, are the two main ones I'm watching just because they're going to, to naturally have the ball in their hands for, for as long as she is out. Obviously, there's a number, but I can't even imagine there being too many shots where I'm like, you know, J-Dub is shooting way too much. But yeah. we, we've talked about it. He's just, he's very passive, which is, you know, a great asset to have, but also can hurt you. Um, but people, myself included, have talked about it. I think you have talked about it, that, you know, maybe J-Dub could be the second best player on this team going forward. And it's still his rookie season, but I'd like to see him take advantage of those minutes and those opportunities and those games when Shea isn't out there. Because the team, it's just like, here you go. Because although Josh might be running the show a lot of the times, he's still wanting to facilitate and getting guys like J-Dub going. So I think it's on him to be a little bit more aggressive in those circumstances and being less passive because the, the team needs him. And it can't just be as good as Isaiah Joe's been. He can't lead the team in scoring every game whenever Shea's out. I, um, I'm sorting. I'm looking at J-Dub's game log, sorting by field goal attempts. The most he's taken in a game this season, 19. That was at the Lakers uh, in the LeBron game, which is quite a moment. Um, but you you look at his, um, his highest volume games by shot attempts, the top three and six of the top seven have all come in 2023. So that just shows you that he has been more aggressive kind of as he settles into his rookie season. Now there's still another another level he can he can go to, but um it is something I think we've seen kind of consistent improvement on and and will certainly carry over into next year. And then the same but a little bit different for Josh, just same I need him to be a little bit more aggressive. Shea is league leader in drives. He has been for a couple of years now. You can't just replicate that, but some of it does need to be replaced by other guys driving because you can't just have that as the focal point of your offense where it's just you drive all the time and then you take that guy out and then nobody's driving anymore. I think they're still driving a lot, but Josh specifically, I'd like to see do that a little bit more and get to the line. Somehow he's averaging Joe. It's it's a small sample uh, size of six games, but he's averaging less free throw attempts per game when Shea is out than when Shea is playing. Well, what do you think of this whole, uh, this has really been a season long trend, even as Josh has become much more aggressive and is using his size around the rim and getting into guys a little bit and and not throwing up those wild hook shots like he did at the beginning of the season to avoid contact. He's still not getting to the line at a rate that his drive suggests he would like, is it, is it reputation? Is it. I don't I, I don't know. Is it because he's like six eight and a big dude? So he like isn't getting the benefit of the doubt. I, I'm just wondering if you're seeing anything on that. I think some of it is reputation being a younger guy in the league. Some of it is he's talked about it. The floater is not the best shot for him, and he settles for the floater a lot of times, and it's just harder to get fouled on that shot unless you're Trey Young jumping into people. But there is that just I don't know, part of the game where if a guy thinks you're gonna block his shot, 
Josh has got to punish him and get the guy in the air and uh, pump fake and go into them in the lane. And it feels like he's going through contact, but he's not necessarily like just bullying them over and forcing the referees to make a decision and make a call. And it feels like Shea does that more than anybody in the league, especially on this team where he just drives and bulls his way to the, uh, to the rim. And it's like either this guy's fouled me or this is an offensive foul, but this is not nothing. And it feels like a lot of times Josh is either just playing through contact at a minimum or playing around it. So I don't know. He he definitely needs to use his frame a little bit more, but some of it is he just he doesn't finish although he finishes better this season, he still doesn't finish very strong. Like even guys like J Dub and Shea, uh Shea especially, who's not a big dunker, J Dub is and he gets fouled on more of those, but just going to the basket with a little bit more force, I think would help him. So the Thunder has three of the top fifty players in drives per game. Shea is number one by a three-drive margin over John Morant. So Shea drives to the basket 24.4 times per game. Um, this is not a, this is not numbered, so I don't know where Giddy ranks, but Giddy's at 11.9, which looks to be in the 30th range, and then Lou Dort's down there at 10. So it, it's just so tough when like Shea is a one-of-one one in how much in the frequency in which he drives to the rim, and so much of the offense is built off that that this team, we've seen them play kind of differently with Shea out. Now, at their best, they want the ball, you know, popping across the court, free-flowing offense, quick decisions, don't hold on to it. But sometimes you you have to, you know, defer to what Shea does best. And that's just like, he's a bucket getter at, at the rim and in the mid-range and, and can always find his spots. Um, but without him, I, I think you're going to have to, they're going to have to create baskets for others. Like you're going to see high assist totals relative to their amount of field goal makes. There's just not like a bunch of guys who are going to beat their guy off the dribble and, and get into the paint. And like Giddy, yes, can do that. Um, but it's going to be a lot of like driving kicks and the, I don't know. They're going to, they're going to have to get hot from three, which they were the other night. I thought they played well the other night against the Kings and they, they still lost. I thought the Kings were very impressive, but yeah, it's just going to be a more egalitarian approach with Shea out. Well, let's talk about the Kings game because I agree with you. I think they played a decent game, but they just lost to a team that's better than them. And that's sometimes just what's going to happen in the NBA, especially when you're a younger team and you don't have your best player. But what stood out to me the most was De'Aaron Fox is really, really good. De'Aaron Fox is so much better this season than he has been in the past couple of years. Um, He's only shooting 33% from three, but it's on five attempts, but five attempts per game. But he's shooting with just all this confidence and every shot just looked like it was going to go in by the way he was taking it. And he's been a guy over the course of his career where in a pick and roll, you can just go under the screen. You don't have to really worry about it. But he punished Lou Dort all night for doing that. And those like quicker, smaller guys are the ones that Dort has the most trouble with. And quickness is De'Aaron Fox's whole game. He might be the fastest Indian player in the NBA. He was terrific. Um, and, and how about the poke away from Josh Giddy? And then he finishes with a windmill on the other end and, and raises the roof. That was that was something. I mean, the, the Kings are fun. I, I really enjoyed watching them the other night. Um, Sabonis did his thing, created a ton of space for for the guards. Didn't get... Um, we, we talked about this on Thunder After Dark, but Sabonis had the fewest field goal attempts of any of their starters. He was like content just like 
creating and, and doing the dirty work, rebounding, stuff like that. Monk is just a, a torch off the bench. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch. Trey Lyles, it seems like, always has a good game against the Thunder. Um, just like a reliable vet that um, kind of keeps them together. Although I always think Trey Lyles is older than he is. He's like 27 or something. Really? Um, yeah. It seems like he's been around forever. I'm going to double check that just because it, it still doesn't even sound right. Um, but yeah, I, I I like watching the Sacramento Kings. Trey Lyles. Let's see here. He is he's 27. He's only 27. I would guess he was like 31. Yeah, I would have guessed around the same. It's it's hard to beat the beam team, though. And uh, Keegan Murray was awesome, too. He was really impressive. He, he, he looks like a vet. Yeah. The dude never changes his facial expression. He'll turn it over. Bad turnover. Isn't one of those guys that he's not going to slap himself on the head or, you know, yell something. He's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, everything's okay. And then then I'll drain a three or make a nice move to the basket and same expression. And that's kind of what he was. That's what he's almost become known for. It's just like this ultra boring personality, but like in a good way. And that he's always like level and kind of speaks to his, you know, age and maturity co- coming out of Iowa. And I like him a lot. I, I mean, who knows what his upside is, but he's just, Guys like that with that size and that touch, I mean, they're just going to play in the NBA for a long time. Yeah, he just fit in immediately with a team that's trying to win, and I don't think you could say that for every guy who was at the top of the draft or in most drafts that they can just go into a team and be one of the number one guys in the draft and just accept, oh, you just want me to be like a 3 and D guy and I'm like a secondary playmaker. I don't have the ball a ton, but he's not only embraced in it, uh, embraced it, but he's thrived in it. And Mike Brown talked a lot about him. He even had a funny thing the other day where he did an impression of Keegan Murray, but Keegan Murray's awesome. And then the last one of the last things I'll say about this game is what stood out to me is you talked about it some the the on ball creation. I think there's a lot of guys on the Thunder who can create for other guys, but outside of Shea, Josh, J Dub, and Kenrich, there's not a lot of guys who can create for themselves. And I thought that was pretty uh, prominent in that game. You saw the Kings go with a lot of full court pressure because the Thunder just don't have a lot of ball handlers you trust in that sort of setting, especially with J Dub, Shea, and Josh on the bench. So I thought that was pretty interesting and changed the game a lot. Yeah, and the Kings aren't a great defensive team. They're the number one offense in the NBA, but they play at such like a frenetic pace that like you kind of get, you asked Mark about this, I think, before the game. You kind of get like tempted to play at that style and it just looks like they, they sped the Thunder up a little bit too much offensively, which forced a lot of Thunder turnovers. I thought, you know, Giddy had some some good moments, and I know I said earlier that he played well, but he also had some turnovers that he was just a little loose with the ball. And, you know, De'Aaron Fox is in there just kind of badgering him. And, and Davion Mitchell, um, you, you know, is a really good defensive player. Speaking of, like, the, the Keegan Murray thing, I Davion Mitchell made me think of this because if they draft Jaden Ivey, who everyone thought they should have drafted, and Jaden Ivey might very well be the better player eventually, but it's like... What what does he even do on this team? It's like, do they are there minutes for him? Like they're the three seed right now. Would they just be trying to like develop this like super raw guard? Um, I don't I don't know. Like Keegan Murray fits perfectly on this team. Um, Ivy would be playing behind Fox. 
I think they still want to believe in Davion Mitchell, who, who they drafted ninth a year ago. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't like Jane Navy might be in the G League for all I know. Yeah, who knows? And that's the Kings are going to take their first ever draft win over the field here where they at least for this, at least for one year for this year, at least to be determined. Yeah. But yeah, I did ask Mark about that. And it feels like the Thunder have gotten caught up in that against teams like the Kings and the Warriors, where the frenetic pace that you mentioned, and they just try to match them point for point. But you're not going to match Golden State or Sacramento offensively with the firepower that they have, especially if Shea's not going to play. So it's one of those things. And Mark said, you know, we can't match him point for point, but at the same time, we're not going to win in a dogfight 90 to 89. That's just not how the NBA works in this day and age. But should be interesting tonight to see how uh, both teams respond after the last game as they get um, their, I guess, rubber match or their third game of the season against each other later tonight. Yeah, yeah, should be fun. Um, Really a fun back to back coming up. Kings, Lakers. Um, And I don't love these baseball type series, but. The the Kings are one where it's like you're not kind of bored by the second game just because they're a lot of fun to watch. You can say that again. Well, uh, there was some other news the other day after the tornado game that we were at, and that is Eugene Omaroy being uh, cut and then Lindy Waters being signed to a full contract deal out of his two-way immediately right after. What was your uh, first initial thoughts on that and just overall feelings about it? Well, my initial thoughts were ones of surprise because um that was kind of like you said a chaotic night with the storms coming through and everything and then they send that release late that eugene has been waived and the timing of it at first doesn't make sense because they just signed him to a standard contract from a two-way deal 16 days ago um then when i asked around and found out more about it it makes a lot of sense because the the thunder was going to move on from eugene anyway but by promoting him from a two-way to a standard contract and keeping him for at least two weeks, Eugene was able to collect a very nice paycheck, which he, you know, more than he would have even made staying on a two-way through the end of this year. And it basically came down to Eugene versus Dario Saric, just how the Thunder was looking at this. Um, it sounds like they're going to keep Saric, who a lot of people thought was a possible buyout candidate. It sounds like Saric is going to stick around at least through the end of the season, and then they'll decide what to do from there. Um, but they really just wanted the flexibility of having another two-way spot and having another roster spot. Um, and then by promoting Lindy Waters to Eugene's open spot that he just left, then they can bring in another two-way player. And listen, it's a really, really cool story for Lindy Waters, being an OSU guy, being gr- growing up here, growing up in Norman. Um Having uh, Cherokee and, and Kiowa roots, really cool that he plays for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I would caution people, though, to not... I'm not saying this is going to happen, but just look at the recent history. A two-way guy is promoted to a standard contract. I would not be surprised if a couple weeks from now the that Lindy is also waived and, and they keep doing this kind of throughout the, the end of the year. Um it's just it's flexibility that Sam likes to have. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. I do wonder because there's a lot of people who have talked about it on Twitter about the Thunder taking care of their guys. This is good business, which I think it is good. It is nice to see these guys being rewarded in their system. But I do wonder, is there any, I don't know, thing on the other side where this ends up rewarding the Thunder for treating their players well? Or is this just Sam Presti in the Oklahoma City front office being 
good people. I I mean, I think it's uh, it's always a good policy to to try to be a good to do the right thing. I, I think it's one of those things where like the Thunder has no advantages being in Oklahoma City, being in a small market, never going to attract big names and free agency. So it's like doing everything you can to establish a good reputation despite those inherent disadvantages. And then the last thing on that, who do you think might take that two-way spot? I know Olivier Saar was just signed back to the blue. Do you think that he probably fills in that hole with Lindy now on a full contract? Yeah, so so Lindy took the open standard contract spot. Saar is is on a two-way, so you know maybe if the same thing happens to Lindy, maybe Saar is bumped up to a standard deal. The Thunder still, as of now, 1.47 p.m. on Tuesday, has an open two-way slot. I wouldn't expect that to stay open for long, but but truly I have no idea um, who is going to fill it. Um, if I were guessing, I would just look at the blue roster and, and think it would be one of those guys who is who is going to get the call because that's where Eugene came from, that's where Sar came from, that's where Lindy Waters came from, um, and they like promoting players from the blue. Well, your work never stops. You went from All-Star back home for like a couple days, back to Salt Lake, to Phoenix where the Thunder played the Suns on national TV and you had the chance to talk to JJ Redick about Isaiah Joe and his shooting. Just tell us all about how that went down, how you ended up talking to JJ and what he said about Isaiah Joe. Yeah, so that was in Phoenix. Phoenix, right? Yes. Yeah. That was <laughs> that that was in Phoenix and um JJ Redick's on the call and Isaiah Joe's just going absolutely berserk in the first half. I think he had 21 points in the first half and was just a complete flamethrower. So JJ Redick, one of the best three-point shooters in NBA history, top 20 in both makes and percentage. Um, I was just like, you know, that'd be that'd be a good good guy to talk to for a story about Isaiah Joe. Just hear one three-point shooter's perspective on another. So um, you know, everyone at halftime either goes and grabs a snack or goes to the bathroom, whatever. And I, I just ran into him in the, in the hallways, um, in, in the tunnels there at the footprint center. And I was just like, Hey JJ, you got a second to talk about Isaiah Joe. And, uh, he was really gracious enough to give me just a couple of minutes. I knew he knew he had work to do and had to get back to the set, but, um, cool guy to talk to. I really enjoy his, his analysis kind of, uh, breath of fresh air and how he talks about the game and had nothing but really good things to say about Isaiah Joe. He said he has a, a feathery stroke and uh, the ball goes in and doesn't even touch the net. So when you've got JJ Reddick saying that about you, um, you're doing something right. And JJ made a 15 year career out of knowing how and when to move off the ball um, and just like keep defenses chasing him all over the place. And Isaiah said that when he came into the league, that was he watched some film of, of JJ. And that was a guy that, you know, when he played at Philadelphia, there was a season in between when Reddick was there and when they brought in Joe. Um, but like Philly had been used to that type of player before. So um, they talked to him about that as well. Yeah, Isaiah Joe's off-ball movement has been a revelation for this team on top of his three-point shooting, and that's just not something we've seen from past Thunder teams, especially the off-ball movement where a lot of the Russ and KD and PG teams were just a lot of iso ball, so guys were just stuck in the corners. But Isaiah Joe is really great just moving around the court, and something that people don't 
I don't know, maybe don't recognize or don't talk about a lot with guys moving off the ball is just being a rover. And you just have to find the open spots on the floor. As much as guys like Shea are creating the space, it's just as important to have guys who can find that space and capitalize on it. And I think that um, Isaiah Joe does a great job of just finding that space around the floor and being opportunistic. And the thing is, it's really cool about him is he has more to his game than just shooting the three like off the catch. He's really elevated his game from the step back three. He got to the line a bunch of times the other night against Sacramento. But just overall, what stood out to me is his ability to recognize the space on the floor um, and just capitalize on those opportunities and um, gain that space. So then guys like Shea and Giddy can hit him at all times because it's much easier to be a dynamic shooter if you're moving all the time and you're a weapon at all times than if you're just standing in the corner where a guy just has to look back and forth and make sure you're still there. Yeah, I mean... Isaiah Joe has just been a tremendous find and you know he he just like sometimes I'm sitting there covering a game and just can't help but to laugh because it's like this skill that is so difficult he just makes it look easy and um yeah it's like yeah there's 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 so many good things that he's brought to this team beyond the the three-point shooting but um it's been it's been a heck of a story it's surprising when he misses. It feels like just every shot's going to go in. He'll take an off the dribble step back from about 35 feet out. And you're like, well, that's Isaiah Joe. It should go in. Anyone else, you're like, that's there's not a chance that goes in. But it, because it's him and the track record he's had this season, you just assume it's going to go in. And hopefully this is a guy who the Thunder can keep around long term because he's been awesome. Even in the games without Shea, he's averaging 17 points per game. Over the last four games um, that he's played without Shea, he's averaging over 20. So He's been awesome for this team. He was a um, late season pickup in terms of just picking up right towards training camp mm-hmm. before the season started. But he's acclimated to this team seamlessly like you like it feels like he's been on this team for years. Yeah. And the knock always against Doc Rivers is he doesn't want to play younger guys. And someone like Isaiah Joe just needed time to develop and get getting that opportunity. And he certainly got it in Oklahoma City. And the Thunder made a pretty key offseason addition to their front office. And Vince Rosman, who was in Philadelphia, had that relationship with Joe. So um, I think there was definitely something there where um, Vince, I, I don't know this for sure, and I don't know Vince, but um, probably was like, hey, this is a guy we, we should go get. Well, we haven't used the T word all that much this year. That is tank. I think it's, um, you know, maybe we're getting into some too early tank talk, but the Thunder have 22 games left this season. They currently sit at 28 and 32. At what point or how many more games will it take before we have a pretty clear idea of what the Thunder, uh, where the Thunder end up in the standings? Over the next 13 games, they have home against the Kings tonight, home against the Lakers, Jazz, Jazz again, Warriors, at the Suns, at the Pelicans, at the Spurs, home versus the Nets, at the Raptors, home versus the Suns, and then two more at the Clippers I just uh, want to know where do you think the team falls under that uh, after that stretch of games? So if Shea was healthy, um, both physically uh, with, with the abdominal strain and, and not having COVID, I would say that this would, I don't think we'd have much of a conversation about it just because of how good they have been recently, despite this mini skid. Um and, you know, all the underlying numbers point to, if anything, they've been better than the record would suggest. And the Thunder's front office have been pretty clear that um, making the play-in and playoffs 
was not a goal. It's not necessarily the goal now, but they're more than happy to let this ride out and have the players, you know, do this. And and the it means a lot to the players to have that. And there's there's cohesion between the players um and the front office. But you know, at this point, I don't think there was much to there's not many levers to pull at this point if Shea is out there and playing at an all NBA level. With him out, it changes things. Um, I don't know what the numbers would look like as far as games, but they still have five games left in this homestand. If they win, if they go like one and four in in, in these, and then they have two tough road games coming up, um, I think now um, I don't necessarily want to use the the, the T word because might might get a phone call about that, but. I think we'll be looking more at the lottery standings uh, than we will at the the play-in standings. And again, that's not a bad scenario for the Thunder. There is no bad scenario. It's either both 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 parties are going to be pleased. the The pro tank crowd who wants another crack at the lottery. Well, if Shea's out, they're going to lose a bunch of games, and, and they're probably going to be there. Um, the crowd that really wants them to push for the play-in. Maybe they stay, keep their head above water when Shea's out, Shea comes back, and they make the play-in. I mean, someone's going to get their wish, and, and no one sh- should be upset with how the season um, plays out. But I I'm, I kind of think we should reassess at the end of this upcoming homestand. Um, but listen, if it keeps going like this, the the lottery are, odds are awfully favorable. And you know, for, for this team not having to... No one was talking about tanking this year. Everything's been great. But you look at it, they're still eighth in the reverse standings. And like I said, only three games back of Orlando, which is, you know, still winning some games. Indiana's still winning some games. Chicago's right there. They're trying to win. Um, Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, and Charlotte, they've locked it up. It's over. It's a wrap. You don't have to worry about that. They they are the bottom four teams. Um, but if the Thunder gets in that fifth spot, 42% chance of the top four pick, a 1% chance or a, a 10 and a half percent chance at Victor. Take that, take that every day. I, I mean, I, I'm struggling to find the, the negative on either side, which is not always the case for me. I have to admit, I have to, to look in the mirror and say that, but Michael, what's the, what's the downside for either scenario? There's not really any downside. I think we can let's let's talk to both sides about that because there's the push for the play in crowd and there's the pack it in crowd. And let's just talk first about how high could they rise in the standings. Currently, they're one game back of the Pelicans who have lost four in a row. They're one game back of the Blazers uh, for the 10 and 11 spot. They trail the Lakers by half a game, but they've won three in a row. And now no LeBron long term. It looks like it looks like he had a serious injury that he sustained that might keep him out for weeks at a time. I think Woj and Shams just reported on. Um, I think the highest that they could possibly get under a dream scenario when Shea comes back is maybe the ninth or 10th spot. Do you see anything different mm-hmm. from that? I would say. Okay, I'll I'll go, I'll say something a little crazy, and I, I could say like the highest I could see. Even with a small chance would be eight just because the teams ahead of them, the Lakers no LeBron now. I think the Thunder are probably better. The Blazers, Pelicans, Timberwolves, you could all see some scenario in which the Thunder finishes ahead of those teams. And then you have the Jazz in eighth, who 
the Thunder really outplayed for much of the night the, the other day and still has three games left against the Jazz. So that could flip. Now, are they going to move ahead of all of those teams? Probably not. But like best case scenario, they get the eighth seed. Um, but but yeah, I think the path to the plan is still pretty clear. Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't want it to feel like we're overreacting where it's like, oh, well, Shea just got hurt. And then this loss to the Kings, the sky is falling. Everything needs to change. The plan is uh, in flames. It's more so like I talked about last week with this playoff seating drama because all the teams are so tight that it's really going to come down to injury luck and health luck. And the Thunder got hit with the bad luck stick of just him getting COVID at the wrong time, him having the abdominal strain at the wrong time, because things are really tight right now at this point in the season where every game matters even more. And, you know, those one point loss, two point losses to teams here and there are really going to decide your destiny. So some of this is just completely out of their control. Like you mentioned with COVID, it's nothing that Shea did anything wrong, but it should be interesting going forward to see where they end up. But let, let's go to the other side. How fall? Uh, how far do you think they could fall or rise in the reverse standings? Yeah, I, I think they could get that fifth spot that Orlando now occupies. I don't think it's likely um, because, you know, that's three games. And at this point in the season when there's, what, like 22, 23 games left, um, it's not like you don't see drastic shifts, but I, I think they could certainly fall to five in the reverse standings. Um, I think, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I keep like flip-flopping based on not knowing how long Shea is going to be out. But if we're, if we're looking at best case scenario for the other side of things, for the, for the pro tank, get a, get a shot at the very intriguing Frenchman side, I would say that the fifth, and again, that gives you a 10 and a half percent chance at a number one pick 42% chance at landing inside that top four, um, I think that's the best case scenario when when we're looking at things upside down. If the draft lottery currently was today, the Thunder would be tied with the eighth and ninth uh, odds with the Wizards, giving them a 5% chance at the number one pick, 23% chance at a top four pick. Uh, the teams ahead of them, like you mentioned, Orlando and Indiana and Chicago are the ones that are probably passable. The top four are locked in stone. They're like 10 games behind or ahead or whichever way you want to look at it. Um, but at the same time, I think that Chicago is a team that's going to probably end up passing them unless Shea comes back really soon or they play really well without him in this stretch. But, you know, this is a situation like we talked about that is a no um, lose situation because no matter what, you've already won the season. You've um, outperformed expectations. You went above uh, the Vegas line of how many games people thought you were going to win. Shea has turned into a superstar. It's proven now a little bit more that Shea and Giddy can play together. J-Dub was the seal of the draft, and you still have Chet Holmgren coming in next year, or hopefully coming into this uh, next season. So it's just not a lot of things. And if you can get one more crack at it in the lottery, I don't know about you, but if you give me a 5% chance of Victor Wimbanyama, I'm going to take that seven days a week and just hope for the best. And who yeah. knows? Crazier things have happened where teams have jumped up in the odds. And it's not like the Thunder are in a desperation mode like in the last couple of years with the Josh draft and the Chet one where it's like, oh, God, we have to get really high odds. The Thunder are in a pretty solid position and they have a lot of draft assets. So maybe they end up at five or six and they move up to four or three or something like that. Yeah. And if you're looking at this and wondering, OK, like when might the Thunder pivot and go all in on 
lottery positioning. We can't learn anything from Shea right now while he's out, but you know, if he does miss a considerable considerable amount of time, I would look at guys like Josh Giddy if he misses a couple games in a row, or Lou Dort. Like it's the other guys on the roster that will be the tells for that. Um, but I I still think that's a, a little bit of ways away and still um, too premature. I just thought of a worst case scenario, um, and it's really only player related instead of team related. It would be if for. I don't know, some some other injury flares up or Shea just can't get back and does, let's say, misses the rest of the year. The doomsday scenario. I think it's very, very unlikely, but I'm going to I'm going to put it out there as a hypothetical. If he does that and that costs him like an all NBA spot, I think that's like the worst case scenario for for him, for sure. But like for the team and you know, everyone that wants, you know, Shea to to be recognized as one of the top 15 players, because it won't just be the time Shea missed. It it'll be the thunder slide in the standings. Like because some all NBA voters look at like, what would you do for your team? And where did your team finish? And if people saw the Thunder finish ninth and in a play-in game, and it's like, how the heck did this team make a play-in game? Oh, it's because of Shea. This guy's tremendous. But if they finish 13th in the West, while the Shea part still being true, I think that could influence some voters um, and cost him a spot. But again, that's like if he doesn't play at all, which I don't think will happen. Yeah, that's the nightmare scenario because they'd look at him and go, how is this guy a top 15 player in the league if they're 13th in the West? Like that that doesn't make any sense. It would be totally taking the context out of it. Absolutely. So who knows with that, but I don't think this is going to be a situation not we're not going to project, but I think Shea comes back sooner than later and is not going to be a situation where he just sits out the rest of the season. But I'm I'm with you. I think by the end of this um, homestand, we're going to have a much clearer view of where the team sits in the standings and where they'll probably finish the rest of the season. Well, what is your guess? I'm making a guess right now here on the last day of February. Where will the Thunder finish in the West? Okay, let me look at the standings once again. I I mean, we've done all this talking about it could go either way, and it's true because they're only one game back of the 9 and 10 spot, but New there, Orleans... There's no is, wrong answer. Yeah, it can New be Orleans, 8 or 13th. New Orleans has been crashing. I'm just thinking out loud here. New Orleans has been crashing down. LeBron's been hurt, although the Lakers have been playing better. If I had to guess, I think they're... God, um... I'll say that they're right outside the play in at 11. I think Michael. Hmm. I think I'll agree with you. I think Golden State for sure stays ahead. You have Minnesota in. Um, Minnesota. I d- it depends on there are just so many variables. With yeah, Towns I, coming back. The Jazz are I a know. solid team, but what if they just decide, hey, Laurie Markinen, um, just he can't play anymore. He forgot his shoes at home, so he can't play tonight, or whatever it is. There's just so many things going on. If Shea was healthier than I, if he was healthy and he was playing tonight, then I'd go, yeah, they're making it. They're going to be the nine spot, ten spot. I feel very confident about that, but there's just so much up in the air with not knowing which guys are going to play, which has been a theme of this season. But if I had to bet money on it, I'd say that they're just on the outside looking in. 
maybe New Orleans does rise back up and it's Utah and Minnesota uh, just fighting for one of those spots. But Portland takes one of them. I think Portland is probably primed to take a spot from one of those teams. But the likelihood yeah. of the Thunder jumping all those spots is going to be very, very difficult because even I don't know what the strength of schedule is left for the Lakers, but they've been playing better basketball. If they can survive a stretch without LeBron, they're going to be a formidable opponent for the Thunder as they try to just make the play in. So it's crazy. Um, three games separate the six seeded Mavericks from the 13th place Thunder. Like the Thunder's only three games out of the six seed. Um, but that's a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's eight teams. That's a range of eight teams separated by three games. The Thunder is eighth, though, among those eight teams. So it's just a lot would have to go right. So by saying 11th, which, you know, who the heck knows, but I'll throw that out there as my prediction as well. That's still saying they jump two of those eight teams. Um, but but yeah, it's just it's so tough to predict, not knowing everyone's situation. To give you, um, you heard from the humans. Now here's what the computers say. 538. They, they haven't been big on the Thunder all season. They're not big on the Thunder now. They give the Thunder a 5% chance of making the playoffs. Now, this is the playoffs. So that's making the play-in and then getting into the playoffs. They don't have a, a play-in predictor. Um, but they have the Thunder finishing 37 and 45, which would not get them into the play-in, I don't think. Because um, right now, New Orleans is in the play-in. They're only two games under 500. So I don't think being eight games under 500 is going to get you in. Um, basketball reference, a little more bullish on the Thunder's playoff chances. Um, they have the Thunder getting the 10th seed um, right now. Um, they have them finishing, well, they it's decimal points, but basically 40 and 42, um, just over Minnesota, over Portland, and over the Lakers. So they have the Warriors, Jazz, and Pelicans um, ahead of them right now. So Basketball reference also says the Thunder has a 3.2% chance of winning the West, which after the news today feels feels a little high. Yeah, I, and I'm going to put it down in my notes that we're not going to talk about this again about where they're going to land until after this homestand is over. So we can try to stay consistent with that and then see where well, I they think are we're going to. Yeah, I think sorry to cut you off. I think we're going to know, though, aren't we like unless we keep saying this. Unless they go 500 and it's like we're in the same exact spot and it's like, oh, I don't know which, which way they're going to go. Um, but I think we're going to have a pretty clear idea coming out of this homestand like, hey, it's time it's time to take the standings you've been looking at and turn them upside down. Or it's time to look at the standings and keep looking at the standings. It's just unfortunate because all they do have, although they do have one of the easier uh, strength of schedules left in the league it's all like backloaded because they have this really tough stretch coming up on a lot of these home games and then you mentioned the road trip where they go out to phoenix new orleans and the clippers twice and then they have games against uh the pistons the hornets and other ones but by then your destiny is going to be already kind of set so if it was kind of reversed i'd feel a little bit more optimistic for the thunder about making the play in or something like that but there's just so much that can happen joe that um we're gonna keep everybody 
updated on? Is there anything else you're working on currently that you like to plug before we get out of here and go to tonight's game? Um, I am going to work on a story about the Thunder taking charges like, uh, like, like no one else. Um, the, the Thunder, I, I was trying to pull up the, the numbers here real quick. The Thunder is number one in charges taken by an insane amount. Trying to load. They have drawn 79 charges. Second is uh, the Miami Heat at 61. Have I have I said these numbers before on this podcast? I don't think those exact ones, but we've talked about the charges they take. Yeah, anyway, they've taken 18 more charges than the second best team in the NBA has taken charges. So, um, Henridge Williams is number one. I think Jay Will is fourth. Uh, Isaiah Joe is a lot higher than you would think. He's drawn 11 charges this year. Kenrich Williams has drawn 25 charges after uh, drawing nine all of last season. So this is, it's a little gimmicky, but it's also successful in, in turning teams over. So I'm going to, we, we we talked to Jay Will, or excuse me, we talked to Isaiah Joe at shoot around, um, hoping to get Jay Will and Kenrich and, and maybe turn that story around soon. Should be interesting. I appreciate you taking charge on going at that story. Ooh. Yes, wordplay. There's some not an English major, stuff. but we're we're working on st- like Shay said about his Instagram caption uh, bars. I I'm a lyricist. He's There's pretty no good at those, honestly. He, he really like, is. I didn't. I I don't know that I believe the thing that he's like. I just sit there for 15 minutes and just think about stuff. There's no way you're not on a flight and you just like you know what? I just have files of just like for the situation that happens, but. Should be interesting, Joe. Do you? Do you or have, worse, he might. Good. He might have like a ghostwriter, and it's all a farce. I don't. I don't know. I'm not accusing him of such things, but um, the the guy has a pretty good basketball future. But he might have a future as a songwriter if he keeps this up. This has been Chet's rookie duty all season. Is you just write Instagram captions <laughs> for various guys on the team? That's what I'm going to guess. Yeah, he's got all the time to think. Well, we have run out of uh, time for today. I know you're very busy, so I want to get you out of here. But I want to thank everybody for listening to the Thunder Buddies. Thanks to Joe for coming on. Make sure to like, subscribe, um, comment, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Click notifications. Turn those on. Follow us on Twitter at ThunderBudPod for more updates about this podcast, more Thunder news, everything else. And we will be back on Friday. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.